Hi, you're listening to Track Changes, the podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio at 101 Fifth Avenue in New York City. My name is Paul Ford. I am the co-founder of Postlight and the co-host of Track Changes. And I'm Rich Ciotti, the other co-founder and co-host of Track Changes. Rich, let's tell people what Postlight does very quickly and then get to the meat of the subject. Postlight designs, builds, and ships software. Oftentimes, uh, web-driven software, APIs, apps, mobile apps. We kind of run the gamut. We don't discriminate at Postlight. All the things that you like to use on your computer, yeah. we, we like to build those things. We like to make them beautiful, usable, and scalable. I mean, who have we done it for? Ooh. We've done it for Vice Media. They're a big client. They are a big client. Uh, we relaunched an, an, um, a whole new platform for the Village Voice. They're mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs. Done some work for Goldman Sachs. Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble Education. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a, a really large brand looking yeah. to get something done, you can send us an email <laughs> at hello at postlight.com. Yes. I think that's the end of our promotion. All right. So, Rich, you know, we've been talking a lot recently about the concept of legacy, right? Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of people think of legacy as old code, old data, old sort of like yep. stuff that's been sitting on a server for seven years and, and you know, Sally knows how to update it, but nobody else does. Yep. And you can't really get something new on the website. and. All the orders, for some reason, have a picture of the cat on the top right. Yeah, you're doing a lot of manual stuff. That's right. Or or there's a guy whose job it is to put a tape in at 5.45 p.m. every day. Yeah. And nobody else knows what he does. He reads the paper. Right. I've been in environments like that. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. So there's a lot of things that make up legacy. But we get called in a lot to deal with legacy situations it's one of the things that if you're a software driven agency slash studio it's one of the things that happens not to patch a thing not to to build the new thing yeah yeah Yeah. or to to really build a pretty big layer that connects to it or, or all sorts of stuff yeah and it's probably worth a minute before we even get to like what do you do with all the data what do you do with all the code which is almost another podcast in this one for us to talk about, and this is something that's really important to you, the social dynamics around legacy systems. Huge. Because people react to software in their organizations, and change is hard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's worth noting that we call ourselves a digital product studio, and we've had this internal debate. Digital product studio makes it sound like we just build shiny little boxes. Well, and I'll give some context there. We, we borrowed that name from another digital product studio. Somebody wrote an article. It was us too. They wrote an article about what is a digital product studio. And it, yeah. it really defined us. Like it was like, oh, okay, well, we're one of those too. Like we're very focused on product. We're not a creative services agency that you come to around advertising. Correct. And, and the tricky thing is that really what we are, I think what you, you'd think of us as an agency if you weren't in New York City. Like, you come to us, you say, I have a certain amount of money, I'd like to solve a problem, I need to get a product built. And you'd say, oh, well, they're a product agency. The word agency is overloaded in New York City by ad agencies, marketing firms, ad agencies, and so on. And there's a real set of assumptions about the things you do. And when we described ourselves as an agency, I couldn't get through that. People thought, oh, we'll come to them to build the cool interactive game for the new gum brand. And it was like... We're not Which is not th- really us. It's not us. We don't do that. No, we do. We do deeper stuff, more complex stuff, applications that, 
you know, an app as, as complex as uh, Uber or Seamless Web. You know how I would put it is we tend to work on problems where there's, and this ties into the subject that we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're not continuing to sell now. Just yeah. get, stay with us for a second. But this is the world we live in. There's a, to function as a firm like ours, you're always thinking about how am I going to portray myself. The things we do tend to stick around for years, five years, ten years. That, that we're, we're building for that. Not against campaigns. Not against a campaign where you're like, we need this to just be killer for a year. It's yeah. gonna, we're gonna put it on the side of a bus. Or it's part of the Grammys. Yeah, that's we're right. Landing this right around Grammys time. So you know, no one would come to us. They could, and we would we would do our best to do it because it sounds awesome. You know, some of the work we miss are things like at the Grammys, we're gonna do a visualization of all the different. Uh, songs, you know, and yeah. all the hot lyrics that were there. We're gonna we're gonna like do a word cloud that flies around behind the presenters. People don't come to us for that. No, they come to us because they're like, right now we have five hundred thousand subscribers and we need uh, we want to get to a million. We have a growth plan, but our platform is isn't functioning or it, isn't it, scaling. It's not or... scaling. You know, we're, we're seeing some real issues. It doesn't integrate well with the newsletters, right? And uh, so we were wondering if you could help us migrate to a new API piece of software so that we can serve those million people and make our money and, you know, pay our mortgages. That's, that's kind of where they come to Postlight. Yes. And it could be really anything. Now, the thing is, is we make that sound less attractive and exciting. But for us, that is the motivating work. I like the kind of like dental pick. Like, how are we going to make this thing scale? What services do you need to use? What are we building? Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's actually hard to market. Um, we think a lot about how to, how to tell that story. So a lot of times people walk in and say to us, you know, sometimes they come in and they say, I need that shiny new box. Mm-hmm. And it needs to light up a certain way and make certain noises. Sometimes they say, do you have any PHP programmers? Sometimes they say that, and we're not a body shop, so we we kind of turn that away. We like projects. like projects, but very often people come in and say, I need to get off this thing. Sometimes they need to get off of WordPress onto something else. Sometimes they need to get off of something else onto WordPress, right? Like it's... Sometimes they got to get out of Excel. Right. I mean, that's, I'm talking too much about media. But it's much more broadly. It's it's Excel. It's Oracle. Yeah. It's these big old databases that are floating around. Yes. It's sometimes technologies that were really useful back in the day. But XML is a good example. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell people what XML is. XML is like HTML, but a little more abstract, and you can use it for any kind of data. So in the same way you might mark up a web page, you might write, mark up a financial transaction. Yeah. Or um, – something with insurance. And there's all these standards and rules and systems around XML, but they're getting a little long in the tooth. It's dated. It's hard to maintain. The systems that used that were optimized to run them aren't as good anymore, which gets into the word we haven't used yet is legacy. It's you not know, in this context. Not in this context. Meaning older systems that have been around for sometimes decades, often often it's as young as five or six years ago. That have become outdated. So I I, I, I want to talk through sort of that backstory of, of how these things take hold. So in technology, it's kind of the shorthand way of saying the old system that is outdated. That's uh, right. It, it, and why does something get outdated? It's various reasons. Um, usually when a system goes into place, 
it's reactive. You didn't decide if a business is just ri- is rising, like is really starting to accelerate. You don't say, okay, business, chill for a second. I'm going to build the next five years of software for you. What you often do is react. It's right. very reactive. So you start to build tools and you start to cobble together these tools to just keep business going, to, to accelerate things, to help accelerate things. And it works for a while because your your path is relatively narrow, right? But well, it's really specific, right? Like you, you might build something in-house not knowing that there are 200 things that you could buy that would do it better for you. Correct. You might take the first sales call that comes along and decide to spend half a million dollars a year on something that does your logistics and shipping for you. And it turns out that that's actually like a $30 a month problem. Right. You know, given this other system over here. And that that's actually, that these are the deltas you're talking about. Like it could be like, I'm spending $1.5 million a year to support a system that I'm, you know, paying to this company. They don't answer the phone anymore. Yep. And I know that there's a better way to do this. Well, they keep trying. I mean, what they'll do is they'll band-aid and create patches and add features because as the business is changing, like if they add a new product line and it has new data requirements, you'll make changes to that system. So the system starts to get, has all this patchwork starts let's, to let's go Let's use in. an example to help people out, right? So like, a, I don't, like shipping is a great example. Yeah. Something where I need to keep track of the people who are buying my product. But let's say it's Here's a... a here, I like, have one. Okay. Inventory management. Great. Uh, and I ship... Especially uh, if it's something bigger like sofas, right? Like yeah. I got to get the sofas from Italy off the container, put them somewhere, and Correct. then send them out to people. No, I mean stuff that can sit around. And let's say you decide to expand your business, and now you're dealing with perishable goods. Okay, so you now, decide to move into fruits and vegetables. Right. So now the data you need around that isn't just is it in point A and when does it get on the ship and then when does it get to point B. It's there's a timing issue. Right. And I need to know when stuff comes on and when it gets off. And I need to prioritize around the stuff that's – the bananas that are going to go th- bad. The example that we gave uh, when I threw out sofas makes it a little ridiculous. But let's say you were a chocolate importer or, or imported exactly. like carob powders. And suddenly you're like, God, what everybody wants is like you know these, these tangelos from, from Belgium. Right. Exactly. I could make so much money if I could just move these tangelos quickly. Correct. And, and so you go back to your – Let's call them the tech group. And they say, look, the system isn't cutting it. I need to know when these things are going to expire so I can order the, the shipments out. I can, I can organize it. 48 tons of rotten tangelos. Yeah. Damn it. So what happens? They scramble. They don't scrap the whole system. Well, and this is where this is really worth noting. These are people who are and they're building their jobs and their careers on the current existing system. They really are. This is the most awkward and painful part of the business, which is that wherever you have a system where people are making their living, you have a group of people who will avidly defend it as a sacred territory. Absolutely. They get good at it. Expertise builds around it. It's a system that gets ingrained into a business not only is affected by the business and the culture and the the sort of social dynamics – it itself actually influences the culture, the business, and the social dynamic. Like People it, it are very dedicated. They're very right? dedicated to their system. Absolutely. And look, these are, these are pocketbook issues. You go in and tell somebody we need to rip that up and put something new in, and you might have just taken away 
uh, not just their beach house, but their kids' education. Like mm-hmm. that's what they see. So it's very you go. You think you're going in and saying, "Hey, yeah. we got to keep these tangelos from rotting." Right. And uh, we need to get a whole new system. I read about this one in Tangelo Monthly that lets you track the hell out of these things. It's great. Every right. Tangelo gets integrated. Oh, this is great. And, and do like, it fast. And that's the other thing you have to do. The analogy I love to use is the G train, for those in New York City, it's part of the subway system, will be r- skipping these eight stops Friday night through Sunday morning, and then it'll go back to regular service. They're mm-hmm. essentially trying to sneak in the work while the trains are still moving. And you know, that's when often I, how it works. When I first moved to the city, they would slow the trains down. And you would like kind of, and, and then the guy would like get away from the track and you'd go by. Yeah. And then he'd go back and keep working. Yeah. And that was taking weeks and they were slowing all the trains down. So that's right. why they do that. They're yeah. trying to accelerate it as much as possible. Things can't stop. The message here is business can't stop. You sure. have to keep going while you're building the thing. There's another factor. People come and go. New managers come in who are really into mobile. <laughs> right. Uh, people quit that had particular knowledge that you need to move away from. So the technology is used, the programming language is used, the preferences shift over time. Mm-hmm. So when you look back, and there's, there's, there are other factors. We're only covering a few of them. When you look back at a, a, a legacy system that's been around seven or eight years, it is really no different. You know, I, I'm not a geologist. But you know when you could look at the rings of the rock to see what's happened oh, over just time? just the layers. Rings the of layers. trees. Rings of trees, layers of rocks. Rings of trees. Sed- sedimentation. Sedimentation. There is literally a history embedded in that code base. Well, that's the thing. Very often, let's say that the carob powder importer has been around for 20 years and started by importing nuts. Yeah. Right? There's a legacy there. They used to do it on paper. Yep. Then they did it with like a calculator. Right. Then they got their first computer. It was like a, a PC. Yep. It was like daily accounts receivable. Yep. Then they got that first system, and that that was the right. big. And like you're on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of times, that's reward. Look, the business. What does that mean? That's reward. That's how you get reward. Meaning, you can't just stroll in and say, "Look, this is getting ridiculous." I need a couple of years. Well, you can't. You can't, right? Because they don't understand what that means. Well, I mean, also, what do you mean a couple of years? I need this in 60 days. Because it's not just that that's how everybody survives is by the quarterly, like your quarterly That's numbers. right. Your performance, the favors you do, the quick fixes you do, the prioritization. Saying no is responsible and politically very dangerous right see and what you're talking about here is this dynamic that is it's where the larger culture of business and not just business organizations of all kinds ngos religious orgs whatever meet the very special culture of engineering like remember there was a point where all the engineers in the world decided that deadlines were bad and started writing about that on hacker news and sort of <laughs> like oh we don't deadlines deadlines have nothing to do with yeah, software right. and you would say that to somebody who's you know got a quarterly number of widgets to ship yeah and they're they're horrified yeah it's like you told them that nothing that like Washington DC isn't real right exactly so this is life for a while right and then it just gets either the guy, well, there's always a possibility that the legacy people will figure it out, adapt, and figure out how to support Tangelos in the system. They, and they often do. And then those are little fixes and little fixes and little fixes. I would say, yeah, like, like yeah. actually very often, like 70% of the time, but that other 30%. 
starts to eat away, right? And, and, and it starts to get really rickety. And you're eight years in or 12 years in. Sometimes you're 30 years in, 25 years in. And then it finally, finally, the leadership says enough. It's too slow. It's inflexible. Our competitors have some system that is 130 times faster. It's time. You know, this and, is and actually, it, com- I mean, it never comes from the engineers. It this, always comes from the top. This was the subject that um, when I wrote that issue of Business Week, the what is code issue, it was all about that. It was can I explain the technology world to middle managers because this is all they see. They get so angry yeah. with tech and, and tech doesn't understand because it's like just driving. It's getting stuff done. Why are they so pissed at me? Exactly. And it's because you're sitting and you, they're seeing they've been given the goal. And I'm not talking about like I'm talking about like a a fairly senior technologist talking to a fairly senior like salesperson. Yeah. No one these are both fairly serious well along in their career kind of folks. Yep. And the tech people often are just like, "Well, you know, I'm I'm doing my best here. I'm keeping the system up. I'm doing the work. I I did actually in- install those three things that you said you really needed." Yep. And the the person on the other side is going, "I'm going to get my ass handed to me in January." Yeah. Like I'm no longer in a position where you can tell me no. Right, exactly. You are putting my entire career and my life at risk. I'm already motivated to see risk. And you are sitting on t- – and the tech person is like, what am I going to do? I'm sitting on top of this giant rickety pile. Right. And I'm doing the best I can with second-rate people because nobody wants to come work at my thing. Right. And – Here I am. Here I am. And you're just going to yell at me all day. But the reality is, unless you can free up a couple million dollars, there's no way to fix this. And no one's ever going to free it up. Right. Exactly. And then every so often it happens where I don't know the difference to this day. I I think maybe I sort of do. I don't know what a CIO is to this day. Chief Information Officer. No, I know what it stands for. Most people probably have no idea what it stands for. I I think it's the diplomat between the CTO and the CEO, maybe? I'll give you my explanation. Oh, geez. I think it's really specific, which is that, especially in the late 90s, there was the idea of knowledge management as core to a large business took hold. Okay. So you know who's amazing at knowledge management? A place like McKinsey. They have giant consulting firm as white shoe as you can get, just very well-respected. They kind of run the world. And they were famous up until, you know, probably relatively recently, up until like five years ago, for having a Lotus Notes installation that approached like galactic levels of complexity (laughs) with all your email, all your information, every piece of information about the global economy macro and micro that you could ever imagine, every report, every summary was sort of nestled away in this this giant searchable database. And it it was created pre-web. It was a giant information appliance. Right. And so what people saw was that that level of knowledge brought about by information technology almost as the internet was coming along. They're like, this is a tremendous advantage. Okay. If I can have dashboards, if I can have information, Got it. if I can have this kind of insight into my business and this historical record, right. I can do amazing things. Okay. And that is very different than keeping the servers running. Right. That's very different than getting everybody their email. It Purchasing. Can be part of it. Yeah. yeah. That's the chief information officer. Got it. Okay. Sometimes so I they're think not I've necessarily technical. They understand just enough about technology to sort of tie it to business acceleration and success. I think it's just because knowledge management is two letters. Got it. So you, you don't want to see KMO. Right. You know, I, I just learned something right here on the podcast. So I understand it now. 
the CTO is more about execution. That's right. Um, and well, look, and it gets very blurry because the CTO at a big technology firm is doing has, more than just X. Yeah, is often like like you know the CTO at Amazon was someone who was executing and building Amazon Web Services, which is a core business. So right. that's it, it, they're they're blur- it's blurry. It's yeah. they aren't perfectly clear lines, no doubt. So let's accept that the C-suite, the higher-ups, the higher, higher-ups have decided it's time. They gave them the money. They might have hired someone. You know, That's also like – And my thesis is that there's learned helplessness on both sides when this is going on. Like the people on the, the non-tech side have gone like, well, they're just – I can't get it out of them and that's how it is and they keep telling me. And then the person on the tech side is like – I have to work with what I got. I got this, you know, PeopleWare installation. Um, I have my queue of stuff that they want. Yeah, these little bits is endless. You're telling me to fix the logistics in the in the factories, correct? And at the same time, I got a Jim over here telling me that he wants a, a new web platform for all the salespeople to be supported by apps. Yeah, it, everybody's coming out every. Yeah, and I got one. You know, I, my, I need another eight million dollars. Correct. So, so everybody's helpless, and then somebody's like, I'm actually not going to be helpless anymore. And it's power, right? right. And the, the power uh, dynamic kicks in where they say, okay, I'm going to support you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul, you have been blessed as the person that's going to bring us the modern platform. Well, and let's, let's gonna be clear, get us too. Off it. This, is, this is business. Power is the ability to open up a checkbook. Yes. Or to get someone else oh, to do Oh, you got it. the budget. You got right. the budget. So that's, you, you can scream and yell at your, your tech people all day long, but if they don't have the money to do it, yeah. they're just going to shrug and walk away. Yeah. But if one day you show up with a checkbook and they still say no, that's when the major legacy situations start to show up. Yeah, exactly. And, and so let's be optimistic for it. Let's, let's draw a, a, an optimistic scenario where you're given $12 million and you've been told, you know, give me a plan. Actually, you're not giving $12 million. You just, they tell you, give me a plan and give me the costs of how we're going to get off this thing. And you come back and say, uh, I need three years and I need 40 people. And so the, the math gets done and they allocate $12 million bucks so you can get it done. Now, this is you, big. If you work in finance, say, that's actually not an insane request. No, no, absolutely. I mean, you want to stay modern. You yeah. want to be competitive. Like we live in a world of little zippy apps getting developed in three and four person teams. But oh, that's these r- aren't unusual. Numbers. Everything you're describing as I've worked when I've worked on bigger things and when especially when you talk to people in just large industries. Yeah. Finance, insurance. Totally normal. Yep. So they sign off. We're ready to go to work. Now, here's what almost always happens. What almost always happens, the ideal setup here is to build a hangar outside of the office building mm-hmm. where this gets to happen and it's insulated by the winds of business because the pull of business and day-to-day and month-to-month business needs is incredibly powerful. I call it the hijacking. What happens is you thought you had your 30-person team, right? And then somebody really influential in sales walks over to you because they just know you as the tech guy, right? And says, I need a couple things. Yeah. I need them in a month. I'm sorry. I really do. And this person, they could pick up the phone and have some really influential people uh, bring pressure, right? You need to get out of mind. You, you need, need to, to get, get out like, of you mind. You can't out of sight, out of mind. Rarely does an organization have the discipline to truly cut that out and say, there is a wall here. Do not talk to this team. It's also really tricky, right? Because the people who are on that team put themselves in a position of great risk where if they don't succeed, 
They've been out. Of, oh, it, yeah. They're associated with the success of that project. Not only are they associated with the success of that, that project is for a while, and that's inevitable, uh, right? Because you need time. It's disassociated with business. And everybody's rolling their eyes at it. You're like, and like, what are you doing over yeah, there? Yeah, over there on the princess farm doing your <laughs> exactly. nonsense. Exactly. I mean, the, the archetypal example of this was the, the first Macintosh. They called it Texaco Towers. It was a, a building that had been a gas station that Apple had acquired. And, like, the team was over there in a remodeled gas station office thing. And they hung a pirate flag. Oh, really? Yeah. And we're like, we're going to go build the Macintosh. And there was actually already this effort called the Macintosh. They completely hijacked it and just sort of that's where the Mac came from. So they really, truly separated themselves. Because otherwise they were being asked to kind of like, you know, let's further the Apple II vision. Right. Fix this. Let's get a new version out or whatever maybe. Right. That's See, that's that takes – I tell you, one of the big advantages of an, of an outside shop is we're outside. We We've know, had I, product leaders – and decision makers come to us and say, I need to do this not in my, well, this is inside what, my wall. Well, this is what happens. It's often – and what happens is people get a little budget freed up and they'll be like, go solve that. Yeah. And, you know, she'll come on down to Postlight yeah. where she's talked to us a couple times. And this EVP of whatever, she'll go, look, I can't get my side unlocked because they're on like a 36-month strategic journey. Right. And I have this thing I need in eight months. Right. And uh, what about you guys? And we'll be one of the you know, three shops that'll pitch because she can't unlock her own resources. That's very normal, too. Like, it's, it's, it's important to articulate to people because people don't often – I remember myself growing up, I never had an experience at this altitude. This is just kind of how it works. Like, the fact that – it's with the blessing, usually, of the CTO. Like, oh, you got to go outside for that. We're not going to get that for you. Yeah. And there's some eye-rolling. There's some, like, yeah, it'd be really nice if we could, but – uh, this place can't handle that. Like people in, in higher altitudes at orgs tend to know the limitations sure. and where things are going. And they'll go like, go get one of those shops. Right, right. And and it's wise because not only are we going to be less distracted by the business, we can't be influenced by it very much. Nobody who I have not met at Acme is going to pick up the phone and say, hey, I heard you're doing this other project for uh, Diane. I need some help with this other thing. He doesn't know who I am. He's just not going to walk in and say, can I steal some of this resource? They won't do it. There's another thing going on. You know, there's an understanding of business where people talk about the formal system versus the informal system. The formal system is the set of rules. Like, go talk here, put in this budget, and then in two months, we'll tell you whether the work should go forward or not, and then we'll staff, blah, blah. It's, it's, you know, like it's a guidebook, essentially. Yeah. Here's a hierarchy in the business. Here's your title. Here's how things happen. And then there's the informal system, which is go down the hall and talk to Mike, and actually, if this thing's going to happen, he'll get it done for you. Right. And that can be really – it's so – big orgs are incredibly informal. They're very – like there's a way wow. it's supposed to happen and then there's five million mics. It's a, truly a social network. And so what happens is that unless you have real ultimate power and even if you do, even if the CEO says let's change this, things won't happen. Because if somebody has the power to drag their feet and they're not feeling it, they'll exercise that power. And often the technology team does. Or yank you in, in, in a particular direction. Like the technology, it can come from the technology team. It can also come from the business side that just keeps poking holes at this project. They just can't help themselves but say, come on with this 18-month thing. I just need this next week. Can you just do this for me? That's right. And that, that distraction is incredibly costly. The other thing that happens internally is that 
it's very hard to get software built in general. So there's a lot of let's do another deck, let's make the business case, let's do this thing, let's do that thing. And that puts you in a position to just get nibbled to death. You can just do proposal after proposal internally. Yeah. And people will come for you to keep you from getting your thing built because they're worried that they won't get to build their thing. So one of the one of the reasons we exist is that we're not when you can come to us and say, I gotta get this done. And that's yeah. one of the reasons that agencies exist. Agencies are kind of unholy. Like you should be building your own stuff by yourself inside your own company, right? right. Why would you go out if you didn't have to? Right. But sometimes you have to because we're incredibly motivated just by the dynamics of the business. We yeah. have to ship this thing for you. You're firing us every day. Yeah, that's right. We, we, we don't work for you. We don't have like connections to that guy I always have cocktails with who's got the influence and the budget. Well, so you're we don't have any of it. You're spending money on it. It's ultimately in your best interest not to spend that money if there's any way you can avoid it. Sure. That's the agency business or the studio business around product. It's different with advertising, but with what we do, it is very intense. Oh, yeah. I mean, this kind of business, and again, not to pat ourselves on the back, it's hard. Uh, you're constantly under threat because that's the nature of the business. I mean, I think I'm, I'm probably one of the best businessmen who ever lived. Really. I think you might be. I think it's yeah. very clear when so, you look at my life. Paul, we've been complaining for the last... I don't think minutes. we I want to give some tips. This is the thing. We've been talking about the actual institutional dynamics that get into software. These are real. Humans are a bigger influence on software than software. Yeah, that's correct. The tools, the code, the platforms, the libraries, the frameworks. Humans are the biggest factor on the success or failure of software. I would say also that's like, especially because the way the industry has gone is... I can tell you what you're going to build, no matter what you're going to build. You're going to build something that, if it's going to be on mobile, it's going to look and use the Android to- toolkit or the iOS toolkit. And if it's going to be on web, it's going to follow like four or five best practices and do this thing with JavaScript and this thing over here. Sure. I know what you're going to build. It's all down to like that final 20%. That's where all the work is. Where it's just your business, just your idea, just your design. And that's where there's a lot of vulnerability. Yeah, right. that's right. Um, so should we give a couple of tips? Yeah, my God. We made people listen to how, you know, us, our big story. It's pretty rough. Yeah. yeah. So tip number one. Well, wait, you know, before you do oh, that, okay. tie, sorry, before you do that, tie this concept back to legacy. Because when people think legacy, they think I have a big Oracle database or, you know, we're doing something with FileMaker from 1998, we need yeah. to update it. Or I have a ar- thing that I have to type an ar- into an orange screen. Yeah. So what does all this drama that we're talking about have to do with legacy? Well, I mean, at some point, the switch is going to be flipped, and you're not going to use that old system anymore. Because? Because, because of all its limitations, its speed, be- its, its functionality, all the things that have been become such pain points for that system. Well, the real trigger to me is when it becomes a noticeable negative impact on the ability to grow the business. Exactly. That's right? the boiled down rationale if your for business, getting off a thing. If your business isn't in a growth mode, you're, oh. just, you're just going to keep, you're going to use that VT320 terminal until it catches fire. Yeah. It's, and, and it's not harming you. Like if the blocker is technology, you're going to go after it and you need to get off. And then, the getting off is huge. It's a big deal. Um, we haven't talked about data. We should. That could potentially be its own podcast. I think we should. We should we've should. we gotten, if we're talking about legacy and we're making this a little bit of a theme, 
We've talked about the social dynamics that bring up legacy issues. Yes. Let, maybe we should end this with some tips, Paul. S- tips about the social, social dynamics. dynamics. That's yes. right. Tip number one, don't hide. Expose and share the progress. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to that tech group that was blessed with that big budget to do the new thing. Okay. Don't hide. Don't hide. Don't say, see you in 18 months. The more people feel like they are somehow influencing this big, big endeavor, the more they'll actually start to become defenders of it. So you need to get people invested in your progress. Exactly. It's going to be good for them. It's going to be good for them. And if you drop what do you think into the conversation, the dynamic is it's no longer I'm about to force this down your throat in a year. Like it's more like here's how it's progressing. We're feeling pretty good. We learned a couple of things when we were wireframing. What do you think? And so people love, love to be consulted. They love to be. Exactly. And it's not just love. It, it, it gives them a sense of investment and connection and, and it brings down their sense of risk. Because if you're like, look, this thing's going to sink or swim based on your input, so I need your input. Yes. We may have had some fights about it in the past, but that's beyond us, and we need to sit down and figure out how this is going to work for you. Then they don't, what they're hearing is, my life and future are dependent on this, partially, but also safe. Someone is building this to help me get the things done very true. that I get paid for. That's right. Because a lot of these people are experts in the old system. Mm-hmm. And they want to feel like they can transition smoothly to the new one. They want to feel comfortable with it. One of the things I always say is a product should at least pretend to give you a superpower. Sure. And that's true on these big replatformings, too. Oh, like, for sure. It should be like, Mike, you know, you're going to be able to hit like 20,000 people where before you had to call five. Yeah. This is hard, what we're suggesting, yeah. because tech people hate. I'm going to generalize oh, they here. Hate politics. They hate just politics. hate all the nonsense. And I'm like, are you really? I have to go ask that guy? He is such a pain in the ass. I re, do I have to take notes from this guy? He's, he's a jerk. He thinks I'm useless. And uh, it's also they don't like – nobody likes feeling disliked, right? Correct. Most other C-level positions, you end up – Getting used to the fact that you might be at war with everyone else in the organization. You're C-level, out of the gate. It's I a little mean, tough. But like that junior CTO often still really wants a hug sometimes. Yeah. Right. Tip number two. Don't drop the big bomb. Don't assume that this all happens in one big fireworks parade release. It's not going to happen that way. And what you actually need to do is... Drop a bunch of little bombs. And here's here's what I mean. Mm. If the group you're servicing is 3,000 and it's broken up into 10 departments, give it to the first department. Mm -hmm. A, you're limiting your risk because you're not betting at all. B, you're going to learn a couple of things. And C, and C is the most important thing. If you find momentum with that first group, your campaign, quote unquote, takes care of itself. You know, it's, it just sort of catches fire and people are like, okay, when am I getting on this thing? You know, it's tough for people though. This is very risky for your ego. The most satisfying thing in the world, and this was something I had to learn a bunch of times, is you want to just drop something like, you know, in the chat <laughs> and just be like, well, here you go. Here's your whole new life. Later. <laughs> yeah. Check out what a genius I am. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. And that's the worst thing you can do for your organization is prove how smart you are. Yeah. You have to, as an engineering leader, accept that 
your own intelligence and ability to change the org is meaningless. Yep. Unless the people who are using your software are excited and coming along. Exactly. And you don't need all of them to be excited. You just need 10% of them or 5% of them to be excited. And guess what? They go to lunch with other people. It starts to show. It starts to reveal itself as better. It's like, man, am I next? Right. Am I going to get this thing? And that is way, way better than you every month or so telling everyone it's going to be really great. It's hard though, right? Because engineering never gets a chance to like walk in, drop the contract on the desk and say, hell yeah, I did it. No. Here it is. We're, you, you were looking for $10 million. I went out and found you $10 million. Right. You're a cost center. Yep. Nobody particularly likes using your software. They exactly. like to whine about all the bugs, which are often part of the platform that you have to use. Yep. And you have one chance here, one chance to really show everybody all the incredible things you can do. And we here at Postlight are snapping it out of your hands and saying, no. <laughs> No, no. Little bombs, little bits, little bits of impact, small teams. It's like a campaign. It's like, you know, you're going from state to state and you're trying to build momentum. It's right. It's just I know how much it hurts people. Every time I've told people about this, yeah. right, they just get so down because they're yeah. like, well, but, well, you know, we wanna, fun. I think a big release is better for everybody. Right. You know? I think, right. you know, we get, out, we get everybody in a room and we're like, here's what you're, you know. Right. Otherwise, they, they, it just like trickles out. They won't get excited. Right. It's not true. So those are our tips, free of charge. Two tips. Two tips. Deep tips. Uh, we'll continue this soon. Uh, there's more to talk about when it comes to legacy. It's an incredibly big part of business, and it's a and it's an incredibly big part of technology. If you ha I'm not one of those. I'm not Forrester, where I could say, you know, this is a sixty-three billion dollar problem, quote unquote. But it's everything. Dude. Everything. Modernization of everything is just how it works you, it's inevitable and you don't have a choice it's like i don't all know all large problems in technology are legacy problems i think that's right all of them all of them. i, I think mean that's I, right. you know and honestly we just we talk about certain things like like scaling scaling is ultimately just a really fast legacy problem you just got there faster because <laughs> more people want to use your product yeah you know twitter is a great example it's built on ruby on rails which is uh, not a fast platform, but it's very agile. You can build things really quickly with it. But it didn't scale. And that's how Twitter got famous because it went, when it went go down, they would put up this picture of a whale held up by little birds. Called right. the, and it got called the fail whale. Yeah. People thought it was cute. They thought it was cute, but it really branded Twitter as like oh, an eye-rolling like kid startup thing. <laughs> yeah. Because it would show you this cartoon when it was down. It wasn't a serious communication tool like the phone system. Let's sure. Say. And um, – all they had was an accelerated legacy problem. They had to rip out that Ruby system yep. and replace it. I think they replaced it with a language called Scala, which is like based on the Java virtual machine. It's very fast. Yeah. It has a couple other things going for it. And I think like – but it's the same same set of problems that like yep. shipping and logistics has. Yep. Just upgrade it. But in that case, it was over like from year to year and month to month as opposed to five-year chunks. Yeah. But that's just because they were experiencing insane social network hypergrowth. Right. Good problems to have, as yeah. you say. As opposed to trying to get their margins from you know 8.7% to 9.5%. Right. So different kind of speed. So look, we should, we'll come back to this topic. But yeah. um, This was a business slash technology podcast. See, I love talking this stuff. This makes me so happy. Do you really? You know, when I was a kid, I used to read Adweek and Forbes and Fortune. As I, a kid? Business Week. Like yeah. how old? Like 16. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. All right. That's another podcast we'll cover. <laughs> <laughs>
You've been listening to Track Changes, the official podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio, 101 Fifth Avenue. You want to get in touch with us? Hello at postlight.com. That's right. So we're saying goodbye, but if you want to get in touch with us, say hello at postlight.com. Give us a good rating on iTunes if you're so inclined. We are trying to be helpful. Let us know if you need anything. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.